Stuart Holman here. Welcome to this final daily devotional in our series on Romans chapters 1 through 8. I am hoping that we'll be able to cover the chapters 9 through 16 in a forthcoming series, but for now we're moving on from Romans 7 where we saw Paul answering that question about the Christian and the law. Do Christians have to obey the law of Moses? Of course the law of Moses is one revelation from God. There's no little section markers the ceremonial aspects of the law are not divided off from the moral aspects of the law and the holiness markers of food and circumcision are not separated from the ethical statutes of you know, murder and coveting. If the Christian is to obey the law, they must obey the whole law. So how did Paul answer that question in Romans chapter 7? Well, yesterday we saw that the Christian is no longer bound to the Old Testament law and all of its requirements. But instead, the Christian now lives by the Spirit of God. Just as the wife of a deceased husband is no longer bound to the law of marriage, so the Christian in and, and with Christ has died to the Old Testament law, and therefore they are no longer bound to it. In terms of its power, the law was ineffective in enabling even the most zealous Jew from actually living righteously. So what changes for the Christian now that they are free from the law? How is the Christian able to live righteously before God? The answer is by the Spirit. When a person turns to Christ, confessing their sin and putting their faith in his death as God's satisfaction for their sin, they are then filled with the Holy Spirit. He makes his personal home in the believer. And so... What we do now in Romans 8 is we follow through on all of the blessings that follow from the Spirit's work in the believer. Romans 8 verse 1. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. This law effectively says that those who are still in Adam, those who are still in the realm that is ruled by the fallen human nature, or the flesh, as Paul calls it, this person is subject to the law that says sin must result in death, spiritual and eternal death. But for the Christian, there is a new law at work in a new realm, the law of the spirit, which rules the realm of those who are in Christ instead of being in Adam. Got to be in one or the other, in Christ or in Adam. Verse 3, For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So uh, in this new way of living, the Christian, enabled by the Spirit, can please God. But the person under the law and without the Holy Spirit, the unspiritual person of Romans chapter 7, well, they cannot please God. Verse 5, Those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mindset on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, 
but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. But the Christian does indeed have the Spirit of God within them. In fact, without the Holy Spirit, a person is not a Christian at all. It's, that person is still dead in sin and has no hope of life. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. That's not to the flesh to live according to it, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So uh, as children of God, does that mean that everything is sweet and everything is perfect? Uh, that now in the present we do not suffer, that we do not struggle, that we are always victorious and happy and healthy? Not at all. In fact, although we are saved and justified as righteous before God, fully assured of our salvation, we do not yet fully experience that. Indeed, we find ourselves still surrounded by a fallen world, a sin-stained world, within a creation that is groaning and yearning for the completion of God's kingdom and the renewal of all things. And this is now the issue that Paul addresses in the back half of chapter 8. I consider that our present sufferings, there are indeed sufferings in the present, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. 
but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Uh, so of this unbreakable chain of events, the most important words, I think, in verses 29 and 30 are God and He. All of those other fancy-sounding words like foreknew, predestined, called, justified, and glorified are only secondary to the fact that God is the subject of them all. It is God who knew us. It is God who predestined and called us. God who justified us and God who glorifies. You see, God's purpose for us cannot fail because he does it. It's, this is the triumph of God's love. Nothing and no one can stand in his way of bringing us to glory. God is the one who ensures our salvation no matter what happens in the present. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord.